from Forth. This is So What Do You Do podcast. When someone tells you what they do for work, do you ever secretly think, okay, but what do you actually do? I'm Ellie, and you, my friend, are in the right place. We interview everyday professionals from all positions in all industries. So sit back, relax, and learn where you too can thrive in a nine to five. Today, we are speaking with Seth, and Seth serves as the Chief Marketing and Customer Experience Officer for Louisiana Workers Compensation Corporation, also known as LWCC. Seth's background is mass communications at Louisiana State University, but started his career at his national fraternity, ultimately landing him as the managing director at a very young age. From there, he worked in consulting here in Baton Rouge and has recently transitioned to his work at LWCC. Today, Seth and I talk about how building and maintaining relationships is the key to success, how it's important to pick a direction with potential over paycheck, and what ultimately made him decide to go into the insurance world. Let's hear from Seth. Hello everyone, thanks for joining us today. Today, in person interview, we have Seth. So Seth, please introduce yourself and tell us what do you do? Yeah, thanks for having me, Ellie. I am Seth Irby. I'm the Chief Marketing and Customer Experience Officer at LWCC, and LWCC is the Louisiana Workers' Comp Corporation. Awesome, okay, so Louisiana Workers' Comp Corporation. Very cool, and your Chief Marketing and customer experience. Okay, so we're going to dive into that later in the podcast to understand what it is you actually do. Yeah. But for my listeners, you have a really cool story. I want to dive into that briefly. So tell us a little bit about your background, what you studied in school, your first job out of school, and how you got to this point now. Yeah, and I'd start by saying if you told me in school I'd be in insurance <laughs> at, at age 31, I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> but in school, uh, I was extreme. So I was mass communications, political communications mm-hmm. major. And candidly, I did not dive. I was a good student, but I didn't dive full into to my major. Um, I, I really spent most of my time on the leadership development side of things. So I was very involved in my fraternity, Sigma Phi Epsilon, and in college, got involved at a national level. And when I was heading into my senior year, the national fraternity said, would you like to come on and, and work for us as a traveling consultant? And as I weighed that decision out, I saw, I think, a few opportunities. One, I had no idea what I wanted to do with, with my life. I went into school thinking I was wanting to go to law school, and I quickly realized that that was not going to be the case. <laughs> and so I, I saw an opportunity to figure out and expose myself to a lot of different industries. Uh, and at, at, a, at a national fraternity level, we have an incredible training program for, for the staff members. And so I, I saw an investment you know, in, in my career with that and the ability to network. I was going to be able to meet people sure. all over the country. We had 200,000 living alumni, and, and I thought I could build my network that way. So right after college, moved to Richmond, uh, Virginia, and me and 12 other guys went through an eight-week training program um, wow. at the University of Richmond and in our headquarters. So we took business school classes there and then had facilitators come in and teach us everything from public speaking to conflict resolution to, to facilitation. And through that experience, uh, it was a huge investment in me personally, but it, it helped prepare me to, to go work with with chapters across the country. So I, I was a regional director and okay. I traveled uh, six six states across the Southeast and I was okay. in charge of 25 chapters um, at age 22. Wow. I was wow. living out of my car, put 40,000 miles in my car uh, <laughs> in 2011, 2012. 
and it was it was a ton of responsibility, but it allowed me to to learn a lot about myself. I mean, when you're when you're in your car by yourself all mm-hmm. the time, and you are sleeping on couches in fraternity houses, uh, you learn a lot about yourself. But it was also a, a ton of autonomy and responsibility, and so yeah. I was able to to really develop a work ethic um, that that I've used even even today. And I thought I was going to be done working for the National Fraternity at that point. And then they, they gave me an opportunity to run one of their leadership development programs. And so I, I came in and did that, thought it was going to be a one-year thing. Mm-hmm. And then they offered me the job of managing director. So I was at, at age 23, and I was in charge of a 35-person staff wow. and $11 million budget, uh, 240 chapters across the country. And we were launching a, a large capital campaign. Wow. So it was way too much responsibility for for 23. I have to ask you because first of all, I don't even think I've had a chance to hear that part, that full aspect of your story and really that chronological order. What do you think? Because you said something interesting. You said, you know, I was in this degree, but I wasn't totally bought in or I didn't really dive in head first, but you were involved in your fraternity and you really invested time and experience there. You said that you, SIGEP had come to you and said, hey, are you interested in this role? Why do you think they did that? Like, what about your experience or or your, I don't know, skill set experience? Sure. Why? Why would they do that? The two pieces of it. One was relationships. So through being involved with the fraternity, you end up working with people at the national office. And so I just built strong relationships with those individuals. And I'm sure down the line, they said, hey, this might be somebody that would be interested in doing this job. I don't know that I really overtly had that conversation with them, but just through building those relationships. And then two was was results. I mean, I was very involved in, in not only my fraternity, but in the Greek community. And I think we drove some really good results and, okay. and we launched some big initiatives in that time um, that weren't just credit to me, but other people that I was working mm-hmm. with. But that that was actually a really early lesson, you know, for, for me, which is life and success is a combination of relationships and results. Yeah. And it's about building genuine relationships and maintaining those. And then people aren't going to hire you unless you can actually get the job done. Totally. And I, I, I like that you say that. And it sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds to me you never necessarily went to them saying, hey, if you ever have a job opening, let me know. Or, hey, I really want to go work for SIGUP National. You just were involved. You you spent your time in something that interests you, that you wanted to to see results out of, you know, and you, like you said, you built those relationships, but right. correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't say, hey, if in a year a job opens up, let me know. No, it was always something that you, you knew they hired, you know, college seniors every sure. year to, to be consultants. And it was something I took an interest in, but they, they had approached me through, okay. through that. Cool. Okay. Awesome. So you had mentioned now you're 23-ish, you're managing director of SIGAP. Yep. What, what's next for you? So at that point, we were leading, we, we were, there was too much on our, on our plates at that time. And, you know, when most people think of fraternities, they think of all the negative stereotypes mm-hmm. that, that you see in the movies and, and in the news. And I like to say that my job was to try to shatter those stereotypes. And it, that I was, it wasn't a job, it was a lifestyle. I mean, it was easily 80 hours a week. I did 150 flights a year. Um, I was away more than I was home. You're dealing with major crisis. You're doing interviews with CNN and Fox News, mm-hmm. you know, after major incidents. Um, but at the same time, you're leading large scale culture change. And so I don't think for the first couple of years, I even had time to look up and think about what was next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember very distinctively a conversation that my wife and I had, uh, it was 2015. 
And we were kind of, we, we reflected back, we'd been in Richmond for four years and we said, okay, what's next? And we thought about either staying you know, longer in Richmond or we had some job opportunities, California, Chicago, other places. And we said, you know, we've been here four years and we haven't gotten involved in the community at all. And we really haven't planted roots. We love the people, but we haven't invested in the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our heart is still in, in Louisiana and so many of our friends and our family are. And it, w- it was in that moment that we said, it, career success is great, but we, you have to balance that with a quality of life. Mm-hmm. And we knew that we wanted to go back to Louisiana and, and make an investment there, mm-hmm. not only you know, with, with our friends and family, but in our careers and do something that, that was going to benefit uh, mm-hmm. a state and a city that, that we really cared about. So that, that was a pivotal decision kind of early on. Um, and frankly, it was the first time I ever searched for a job, which was a pretty terrifying in, yeah. in terms of, you know, so I, I thought that I had a lot of success at that point, but it's a humbling experience just to realize I don't have a resume. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what I want to do. I know where I want to live, but where, where do I go from there? Yeah. And I think to your point, I, I love that you say, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You knew you wanted to get back to Baton Rouge or South Louisiana, and you knew that you had skills and experiences. Obviously, like you said, you had tons of responsibility at such a young age, but the problem was, where do I take these skills and experiences and how do I continue to grow those? Yep. So talk about what was next for you in your next role. Yeah, it was, I remember talking to several, several mentors who said, look, I know you might not know exactly what you want to do, but if you can't give people some inclination mm-hmm. of where you're headed, they mm-hmm. can't they can't help you, which mm-hmm. which is a great lesson, I think, for college students. Cause I talk to college students all the time with career development and they can't they can't even give me a, an industry or a general area. And so that that would be a piece of advice I would have is like give people something to work with. Because that that's what that's when they can introduce you. And so I started to think through it and I, I was extremely fascinated where business and government intersected and you know looking at economic development and how you can leverage the private sector to make an impact um, in in government and, mm-hmm. and uh, in, in just the the state that you cared about and so I started to really look at lobbying and look at economic development and really even look at at fundraising and higher education um, and then I came across consulting and realized that 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 was a place that I could get the variety that I got mm-hmm. working for a fraternity. I could continue to build my network. And I came across a firm called Emergent Method who had recently started up mm-hmm. in, within the past couple of years and started talking to the people there and realized a couple of things. One, they were doing really impactful work in the state, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Two, it was fast-paced and a challenging environment, mm-hmm. which, was, which was attractive. But probably three, and, and most importantly, I really like the people that were there. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to work 40 to 50 to some, some weeks, 70 to 80 hours mm-hmm. a week, you want to enjoy the people that you're doing it with. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I set my sights on doing whatever I could to, to get a job with Emerge Method. And, okay. and that was uh, March 2016. Okay. Got that locked in and then moved back to, to Baton Rouge in June 2016 to, to get started. Okay. So then you were there from, 20, <coughs> from 2016 through recently is from what yeah. I gather. So talk about, so this, this is actually probably a perfect pivot point. So you mentioned at the beginning, you're a chief marketing and customer experience director. Officer. Officer. So, yeah. Perfect. Okay. For the Louisiana Workers' Compensation Corporation. Correct. LWCC. LWCC. For all of our listeners, LWCC. <coughs> so I want to kind of pivot into, okay, that's where you're at today. That's what your job description is. We've learned a little bit about your background and kind of the jungle gym that you've climbed through to yep. get to this awesome role. So 
What do you actually do? I never, I thought I was at Emerging Method for, for life, for career. Yeah. Loved it. Still love it. Still love the people there and was not looking to leave. And I was approached by Kristen Wall, who's the CEO of LWCC and says, look, we got, we got an amazing opportunity. We're creating this job and I think you could be a good fit for it. And there were three pieces to it. And so this describes a little bit of why I took it and mm-hmm. what I do today. But she said, it's a, it's a chief marketing and customer experience officer. And the first piece is, is marketing and communications. LWCC, we won't go too deep in the history, but one thing to know is, you know, they're one of the largest companies in the area, and yet not a lot of people know who they are. Mm-hmm. And part of that is is the history and, and how they came together. Um, but they were they were founded by the state. They were they were founded by the legislature, but they're not a government entity. They're a private nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Never received a single tax dollar. Um, but they were they were brought in to save the workers' comp market. So okay. if you know if you're a business out there, you have to have insurance mm-hmm. to operate. And at the time, in the early 90s when they were founded, so many businesses had left the state because they couldn't get good insurance. It was mm-hmm. too expensive. So they founded this company to say, provide affordable insurance and be able to stabilize the market. And that that happened over over time. And so they've been around over 25 years. Okay. Um, but yet they've they've done it very quietly because they're a private nonprofit. And it's mm-hmm. not about you know building a, a name or reputation for themselves. Mm-hmm. But Kristen, who's the CEO, said, we want to take a greater leadership role in the state. You know, we think we have an opportunity to, to really get back and elevate the, the state. Mm-hmm. But we can't do that if people don't know more about who we are. Sure. And so we want you to come in and, and lead a marketing and communications transformation and, okay. and help us uh, do a, a repositioning project of our brand and who we are and, and where we want to go. Okay. Um, and so then the second piece, she said, to do that, <clears throat> we want to take on some really big philanthropic initiatives. And we want you to help oversee and, and lead those big philanthropic initiatives. Um, and so one, I, on the marketing side, I was able to use a skill that that I had been developing, not only with the fraternity, but in the consulting space. Mm-hmm. And then the philanthropic side, I mean, it really spoke back to the conversation I had with my wife in the kitchen that day in, in Richmond, Virginia, which was want to make an impact on the state. Mm-hmm. So here was a company saying that we want to put resources towards that. So that that was attractive. And then the third piece of the job was customer experience. You know, insurance is a 600-year-old industry that operates like a 600-year-old industry. Absolutely. I mean, there's, uh, it, it's, not, it's not seen as sexy. Mm-hmm. It's not seen as one that is on the cutting edge of technology mm-hmm. um, or, or innovation, but it, it needs to be. And I, I think the leadership at LWCC saw that and said, we want you to come in and help us figure out what, what does the best customer experience look like? How do we leverage technology to improve the experience we have? And how do we improve the relationships that, yeah. that we have with, with our customers? So that's, that's the high level of the job. But it's also, yeah. for me, it was, it was the variety that I was going to get to do. It was the impact that, that I was going to be able to have um, and, and the experience I was going to be able to gain you know, in my early yeah. 30s as a, as a corporate executive officer. And it's interesting to hear your perspective because I hear you're coming into something from scratch. So I, I talk to my students a lot when I talk about resume building and I, they probably make fun of me, but I say gold star to whoever can put the word spearheaded on your resume. You know, to me, that means there was, there wasn't something there before and you created it. You, you brought it in, you started it from the ground up. So it sounds like in, at LWCC, this was something that they saw a need for, but they did they did not necessarily have a person doing it. They didn't have a team. So, you know, they didn't have initiatives around it before. So they're saying, hey, can you come in and make this vision happen right. and help us create the vision, what, what this is ultimately going to be, which is a really unique 
experience and opportunity to have. And I'm sure that played a huge part into why you ultimately Absolutely. decided to take the leap, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I can appreciate that. So sometimes what my students will ask is, you know, how much percentage of my day yeah. am I going to be behind the computer? Or how much percentage of my day am I going to be speaking face-to-face with clients, going to meetings, or even just doing teamwork within my own internal team? So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Obviously, you're here with me today, so this sure. is a percentage of your yeah. day. But talk a little bit about what that means. It It is a constant battle with – so if you're always out and you're always – you know, interacting with clients and, and doing uh, external work, then you're probably missing part of your job because mm-hmm. e- almost every single job, there can be something but behind a desk. Mm-hmm. I would say in my job, the blend that I try to go for is 50-50 to 60-40 and, and 60 being more public facing mm-hmm. or team facing, interacting with people. One, it it's what drives me as interactions. I can't sit behind a desk all day. But two, I think to be a good leader, a good manager, you've got to be interacting with your employees and, and with your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it's, it's about 50-50. Okay. And how much of your, like, do, do people sit on your team? Do you manage a team? What, what does that team look like? Like who is consistent of that team? Yeah. So we've, we've got a couple different teams. Um, so I, I manage some of our external facing teams that work with our customers since it's customer experience. Mm-hmm. And I started to build out that team to include people that are going to improve the customer experience that aren't just focused on interacting with customers, but more as internal consultants looking at how do we improve all these different uh, interactions mm-hmm. that that we have. On the marketing side, you know, building currently building a team and looking for people that have the the social media and the strategic communications experience. I mean, mm-hmm. so much of, of today's marketing is not done through direct mail or your, your radio ads. It's meeting yeah. people where, where they are. And so we, we've had to really look at how do we bring in people that are the future of, of marketing and communications. Yeah. Um, so that that's a right now building those people. Okay. But I'll say the one of one of probably the biggest components of what I do is work with external consultants. So I've okay. hired a few people that work for us about 25 hours a week in the office. So they're, they're pretty much like team members. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other piece of it is, is finding the, the best talent in the country to bring in. And so when we were doing this marketing and communications transformation, we, we said, who could, who could help us lead this? And we, we found a woman named Andy Cunningham. Andy helped Steve Jobs launch Macintosh. Wow. She was his publicist um, wow. in the kind of tech boom. Left with him to, to do Pixar and then you know, came back as he, as he came back to, to Apple. And phenomenal resume. I mean, we're one of the best at, at what she does. And so we built a relationship with her and, and told our story. Yeah. And so we've hired her team to help us come in and lead this marketing and communications transformation. And so, so much, so much of your job, yes, it is, it is about building team and finding people to hire, mm-hmm. but oftentimes it's about finding those external stakeholders mm-hmm. that are just the best in the world at, at what they do and finding a way to, to work with them and learn from them. Okay. So th- that's interesting too, because, and like I mentioned before, because it is kind of being built from scratch and you're yeah. deciding the direction and the vision, it sounds like you're still working through that. You know, who, who, who are the best people and yep. roles to put into place to make this happen? That's awesome. So again, this doesn't probably surprise you, but a, a familiar question I get from students is, you know, what are these people's favorite thing about their job and then also just the most challenging maybe the most as I like to call it life sucking it's draining it has to get done but it's maybe not your favorite thing so talk a little bit about those two aspects in your work 
The the favorite, ah, there's two things that jump out. One is the people in building a team mm-hmm. and being able to, to bring people together. Uh, coming in, it, w- it was very blank slate and it was very much like, all right, you're going to be defined by the talent that you bring in and, and how you put, you know, how you put those people to work and, mm-hmm. and rally around a vision. Mm-hmm. And so being able to find people not only in Louisiana, but across the country that are the best at what they do and convince them to come on and join our team mm-hmm. has been really rewarding because mm-hmm. you get to, you get to watch, you know, their, their talents, uh, go to work. And I've tried to find people that are better, better than me, but also different skill sets mm-hmm. that complement what, what I can bring to the table. So that's part of it. And I think to the other favorite part is building something from scratch and seeing it start to come to fruition. I love consulting, but one of the downsides of consulting is you get to the end of a project and, and you walk away and you don't necessarily know if, if your client is going to implement that or right, not. Right. Working in a large corporation, you get to see those mm-hmm. those problems all the way through. Mm-hmm. So that's that's probably one of the one of the best parts. Okay, cool. Least least favorite part. So it's funny, I'm and I'm six months in, so you're kind of in the honeymoon phase where you right, enjoy exactly. everything, right? <laughs> but I, but I'll say it's it's my first time. It's my first time working for a large corporation, and this is good for any students that are that are considering that and going into that. There's a certain amount of red tape and policies and procedures and risk management that go in with a large corporation, mm-hmm. and that's been a challenge for me as someone that wants to go 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 fast mm-hmm. and has has been successful based on you know speed and efficiency, mm-hmm. and I've had to to tone that down and say, all right, we got to make sure that we're doing this right. Mm-hmm. And we got to make sure that we're doing it within the policies and procedures that are in place. Yeah. So I don't always enjoy that, but it's been a good humbling, like it's a good, it's learning, a good learning experience. experience. Yep. And like you said, you know, you're in the honeymoon phase of your job six months. And, um, I would say that's pretty standard of what I hear from people, especially, especially when they move from less red tape to more red tape. You know, you know that there may be more red tape, but until you experience it, you're like, okay, these are, we just, we have to think about this problem differently or we have to be more patient or figure out a way around it or whatever it is. So I think that those are both valid things to say. Um, and I think people would agree in, in those experiences. Um, so this is a, I, I believe is a good transition into our final piece of the interview, which really focuses on how do I get there? So if you were a young person or yourself listening to this interview and you're sitting back thinking, gosh, I want to be in that kind of insurance or I want to be a chief marketing officer one day with customer experience background as well, what would be the next best piece of advice that you would give them? I'll start out with, with a more general piece of advice yeah. on just what I think has been has been a key behind any ounce of success that I've had. And it's, it is developing and maintaining relationships. So I'll, I'll, I'll back up to when I was in college. Yeah. I went to a leadership program in Richmond, Virginia, and I had a, a facilitator there. It was a guy named Ryan Brennan. He was in venture capital and we developed a really good relationship. And he came to me a week after the program and said, he lived in California, but he said, Hey, I've got, I've got contacts in Louisiana. You're in political communications. Would you want a lobbying internship? So I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I go in and pursue this lobbying internship. And it was a guy in Baton Rouge named Scott Kirkpatrick. And I go work for Scott. And the first day that I started was the BP oil spill. And so I came in to do venture capital lobbying. And he said, you know what? Coastal restoration is about to be a big topic in the state. Do you, do you want to be involved in that? I said, absolutely. So my, my junior year, I worked in lobbying on coastal restoration, you know, coming out of BP. And through that, Scott and I built a tremendous relationship. Well, I move away. I go work for the fraternity, and 
and Scott and I stay in touch. So when I moved to Richmond, I maintained a relationship with Scott. Was there five years. Mm-hmm. I go to, to move back. He's one of the first meetings I have when I come to Baton Rouge to, to start the job search. And he says, are you still inter- interested in coastal restoration? I said, yeah, potentially. I mean, it's a, it's a really important topic. Mm-hmm. So there's a guy that just started a consulting firm, Nick Spire, who's who started Emergent Method. He does some coastal restoration consulting. Why don't you talk to him? Well, I go and, and I meet with Nick and immediately I was like, this is this is a guy mm-hmm. that that I want to work for. And so, you know, one thing led to another and, and that that's the job. And then because I was at the consulting firm, I was able to work with LWCC and, it, mm-hmm. and it's the job of the day. Mm-hmm. So rewind all the way back. Had I not been in that leadership program in college, and, and I would imagine I did something right that week for Ryan to come after and say, mm-hmm. hey, do you want an internship? I don't know that I would be where, where I am today. Mm-hmm. And, and so the lesson there is like you never know the, what relationships you're forming and how, how they'll impact you later mm-hmm. on. So just the, the first general advice I'd have is like build those relationships and, and keep in touch. I with, was gonna I was gonna say I, networking is such a buzzword and I, we that's like a whole nother rabbit hole we could get down. But I love that you say building relationships and maintaining them because that's that right there is like the golden ticket. It's you don't just meet someone at a networking event and never keep in touch. You have to put forth effort and genuine effort, right? Yeah. Of hey, what's going on in your space? This is what's up with me. Just checking in. Hope all is well. You know, it takes very little to stay connected, but people often don't do it. So I love that you mentioned maintaining those genuine relationships yeah. and connections. And so the second the second piece of general advice I'll give, and I'll get into specific more yeah. of my job would be Ryan, the guy I told you about, who's a facilitator uh, of mine in college. He he became a mentor for life for me. And one of the things he said early in my career was look for career accelerators. Mm-hmm. You know, Don't take a job because of money or uh, a title early on. Look for opportunities in your life that are going to, to lift your career up because mm-hmm. you were given a chance that no one else was given. Mm-hmm. And so that could be a graduate degree program. That could be a just incredible, you know, running a fraternity at age 35 and yeah. being able to, I mean, at age at age 25 and being able to manage 35 people. Um, you never know what that opportunity is going to be, but prioritize responsibility and autonomy at, at an early age. And so that that's the other piece of advice. I think any anybody I've talked to that that I would deem successful, they have found career accelerators mm-hmm. that that have, that have really boosted them beyond beyond their peers. But in terms of marketing and customer experience, I think at, at a certain, you know, just entry point, you've got to have those hard skills. Yeah. And so if you're interested in one day being a chief marketing officer, go work for in marketing for mm-hmm. a company or from a consulting firm, you know, find the opportunity to get raw skills mm-hmm. there. The the next piece is variety. People today want to see that you don't, you have not just dedicated your your life to, to one thing. Yeah. If you want to come into an, an executive role or where you're able to lead teams or uh, lead an industry, you, you've got to you've got to have the specialty skills in that industry. But outside expertise is is so important. So if if you're in your 20s, you know it, it's okay to go work in an industry that maybe later on you don't end up on. But that that experience will will be valuable no matter where you go. That is really helpful. I'm reflecting personally a little bit here because I do think it's important to say just because you don't know the exact industry or you have an opportunity in an industry that you're thinking, gosh, do I want to be in that industry? I'm sure you thought similarly when you're thinking about LWCC. You said at the beginning of the podcast, if you would have told me I would have been in insurance in college, I would have never believed you, you know, but 
you, that's why you can't shut out opportunities, right. right? You have to be willing to pick things that are going to escalate your career and, and do the work and be in the right rooms with the right people and, you know, put forth your best effort. So thank you for sharing that. If, I, if I'm talking to a college student, I tell them prioritize first and foremost experience. Mm-hmm. Where can you go in and be given more responsibility than most people your mm-hmm. age? Second, mentorship. Like, yeah. do you have a boss that's actually going to invest in you and further your career? Mm-hmm. If you get those two things at age 21, 22, you'll be set no matter what right. job it is. Right. Especially if you're open to learning, doing the work. I, I find that when I, I can tell immediately when I meet a student or I'm working with a client who they just want to learn. They just want to be under the right people. They want to grow their career and learn as much as they possibly can. They don't care about their job title. That's so right. I think that that's extremely valuable information. Um, so post this podcast, I will ask you, um, if you don't mind, can I link your LinkedIn for my listeners if they want to reach out and connect? Um, Obviously, you're based in Baton Rouge, but even just to hop on a call or just chat back and forth on LinkedIn, is that okay with you? Absolutely. I I tell people I am where I am because people took those phone calls from me. Uh, So I try to pay that forward. Love talk to anybody that that wants to chat. Perfect. Well, I will link Seth's information in the show notes, but um, thank you for being here and tell my listeners, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks for listening. If you loved this episode and are inspired by this 9to5er, let us know. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Screenshot this episode and tag us on social at fourth underscore LLC. We would love to hear what professionals and industries you want to hear from next. Want more career guidance, discovery, and inspiration? Be sure to visit our website, GoForthLLC.com and browse our career downloads, read our blogs, and get inspired to go forth.